May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. In some church traditions, the Apostle Paul, who we heard from in that second reading from 1 Corinthians, gets a lot of airtime. But in most Anglican churches, we hear a reading from Paul most weeks on a Sunday morning and uh, call it a day there. That's, that's quite enough of Paul, thank you very much. After all, Paul can be a bit hard to follow sometimes. Did you stick with him with all of that? Uh, when I'm with the Jews, I become like the Jews, so that I might win some of them. But when I'm with those who are not under the law, although, you know, uh, I'm not totally not under the law, but I'm somewhat under the law. I don't just one who's not under the law, so that I might win some of them as well. Paul's a bit difficult sometimes. And it's easy to just leave him in his place over there in the book. But if we stick with Paul long enough, we can find some really good nuggets. Even though he mystifies us sometimes, what I appreciate about Paul is that his passion does come through. So in the reading today, we hear him say that he's obligated to proclaim the gospel. He says, woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. He has this very clear sense of focus and mission and purpose. What Simon Sinek would call his why. He has found his why. I think this is very impressive about Paul. And he follows an example set by Jesus. So in our gospel that we just heard, Jesus has spent an evening healing sick, casting out demons, and the town is loving this guy. They want more of him. They're looking for him. They're searching for him. In the morning, he's gone off to a deserted place by himself to go and pray. He's gotten away, but the whole town is still after him. They want to find him. And when his disciples finally catch up with him, they say, Jesus, you're doing great. People are loving you. You're a hit. They want more. He says, let's get out of here. <laughs> he has a very clear sense of his purpose. I could stay and do this. I could revel in the popularity. I could be a great success. But that's not what I'm here for. I've got to go to these other towns and keep proclaiming this good news. That's what I'm here for. It's easy to get caught up in someone else's vision of who we should be and what we should do. There's a whole world around us telling us who to be. Our families are telling us who to be. Marketers and advertisers are paid to tell us who to be. There's a whole host of visions for the good life that are held out in front of us. But who are we called to be by God? What is our unique purpose. What are we here for? For Paul, the temptation to get pulled off course, off mission, was coming from those established apostles and Christians in the church who had come, you know, lived their lives in Judaism with its customs, its rituals, its purity codes. And Paul is saying, this is good, this is fine, when I'm with those who are under the law, I will act as one under the law. That's fine. That's good. But my mission is to go beyond that. My mission is to proclaim a gospel that doesn't wipe that away, but transcends that. It is for those people and it's for a whole host of other people. So that when I'm with the Greeks who aren't under the law, I can be like them. 
and I can proclaim this good news that I have to proclaim in a way that they can hear it, in a way that's accessible to everyone, without compromising the core of it. But he doesn't want to let anyone pull him off course into adding obstacles. Jesus, in his case, later on in the story, after his disciples had been following with him for a while, they've seen him in action, they've seen him casting out demons, they've seen him in the sick, they've heard some of his teaching. Jesus pulls them aside and says, okay, now we're gonna to go to Jerusalem. When we get there, I'm gonna be betrayed, I'm gonna be handed over, I'm gonna suffer, and I'm gonna die. And Peter, one of his closest disciples says, Jesus, you're kidding. There's no way that's what's going to happen. You're on top of the world right now. And that's where you're going to stay, because you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the Living God. You're the best thing since sliced bread. But they didn't have sliced bread back then. <laughs> and Jesus could have been pulled off track. He could have said, you know what, Peter, you're right. I don't really want to go to Jerusalem and die anyways. Let's go with your vision of a good thing. But he doesn't say that. He says, get behind me, Satan. This is my mission. This is what I'm here for. This is my focus. I wonder, do you have a sense of purpose? Do you have a sense of how that purpose connects with God's purpose for you and for the flourishing of the world? Not all of us are going to have the same purpose as Paul. Woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. But what is your purpose? How would you end that sentence? Woe to me if I do not. How do you fill in that blank? God calls each one of us to a purpose that fits into the big thing that God is doing, making all things new. It takes some work to discern what that purpose is, what that call is. But there's some elements that we can hold together. So as we think about what is my purpose, we might think, what is our purpose as a church community? Here are some questions to ask. What gives me profound joy? What gives me profound joy? What satisfies my deepest desires? Not my shallow desires, my wants, maybe my lusts, but what satisfies the desires at the core of my being? What gives me real deep joy? How has God wired me? What are the spiritual gifts, or the, the gifts, the talents, the strengths that God has given me? Often these two things go together, our joy and our gifts. And when those things come together, there can be something quite beautiful happen. Although it's not always the case that things we're good at bring us joy. Sometimes we're good at something, and everyone asks us to do it because we're good at it, but we don't want to do it. That happens sometimes too. There's discernment that we need these change from moment to moment. But what brings me joy? What are my gifts? And what needs do I see around me? How does my joy and my strength connect with the need in the world? So this same Paul who has showed us this focus, this passion, which sometimes mystifies us, has also given us another gift. In the letter to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, chapter 4, Paul talks about five different spiritual gifts, some call it the fivefold ministry. So I want to talk about those five gifts, and as we think about what is my purpose, what is God calling me to, 
See if any of these five gifts resonate for you. So there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. A very clever man called Alan Hirsch has seen this and said, oh yeah, A-P-E-S-T, a pest. <laughs> Where do you fit in the a pest? Five-fold ministry of the church. So God calls some to be apostles. Paul is one of those apostles. These are the people who extend the gospel. They are the sent ones. The word apostle means to be sent. And in our Nicene Creed, week by week, we say that we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. This apostolic church is a church that is sent. And the apostles are the people who lead us in that being sent. These are the ones who are transmitting faith from one context to another, passing it on from one generation to the next. They're always thinking to the future. They're thinking about what's coming up. They're building bridges. They're developing leaders. They're establishing the church in new contexts. They're the entrepreneurs of the church. So last night we had messy church, which is a way of doing church that is very much not like this, sitting in pews and listening to one person speak for a long time. But it's a way of doing church playfully. The idea being that we connect with a different group of people than the group we connect with here. It's an apostolic way of doing church, outside the box. But each one of these spiritual gifts has a shadow side. And the shadow side for apostles is they can get so excited about the new idea that they just burn through people because people become a means to an end to get the new thing done. We need some of the other gifts to, to temper some of that excitement and enthusiasm. Not, not to temper the enthusiasm, but to just make sure it doesn't run people over. Okay, that's apostles. Prophets. These are the people who know God's will. They're attuned to truth. These are the people who bring correction and challenge the dominant assumptions that we inherit from culture. They challenge the status quo. You think about the prophets in the Old Testament, it's not so much predicting the future, but it's calling out Israel on what they're doing wrong. Right? It's saying, you're not taking care of the widow and the orphan among you. You're not taking care of people. The rich are getting rich and the poor are getting poor. This is a problem. The prophets are the people who call out injustice. The shadow side of the prophet is that uh, they can become belligerent activists. You ever seen those people belligerent activists? Right? People who are just bitter. It can happen to the prophet. And if things go really bad, what can happen is they can just disengage from this reality and then they become those Prophets of doom. Okay, then there's the evangelists. Evangelists are kind of like the recruiters. They have an infectious way of communicating the good news of gospel and recruit others to the cause. And they call for a, a personal response to this good news. And draw other people in the church into the mission of growing the church, reaching out to people outside, inviting people in. The shadow side of the evangelists, though, is that they can be so focused on reaching outside that they miss sort of spiritual maturity and growth and uh, the health of the people on the inside. So then we get the shepherds. These are the people who are tending to the flock. They look to nurture and protect. They're the caregivers of the community. 
and they're working on maturing spiritual formation, they're working on the relationships among people who are on the inside. The shadow side, of course, of the shepherds is they, they value stability so much they can come at the expense of the mission. They can get pulled off purpose and even foster an unhealthy dependence between the church and themselves. So then there's the teachers. The teachers are the people who understand and explain the faith. They communicate God's truth and wisdom in a way that helps the community understand people like Paul for our time, making sense of our faith for our time. The shadow side of the teachers is that they can fall into dogmatism or intellectualism and fail to see how this connects. It can just become so in the head that it, it doesn't connect with the life of the church or the mission of the church. So we have apostles who lead out into new spaces, they're outside the box thinkers, we have prophets who challenge the status quo, they're the conscience of the church. We have evangelists who reach out and invite people into relationship with Christ. We have shepherds who tend to the well-being of those in the church and the connections among them. And we have the teachers who make sense of the faith for our times. Each one of these gifts is needed in the church. But in the history of the Anglican Church, we probably leaned more heavily towards the shepherds and the teachers. This is probably because of where we come from, right? We come from the Church of England, the established church of a country, where just about everyone was connected to the church. And even if they didn't go, they were part of the parish, which was really under the authority of the church. And church and state get caught up with each other, right? And so the prophets who speak truth to power, eh, they are a little bit on the sidelines because everything is very cozy between the church and the state. And so no one wants to listen to the prophets because things are good. The apostles, well, we don't really need them because everyone's already in. We don't need evangelists, everyone's already in. But we're in a very different place now in the church. We have to go upstream to get to church on Sunday mornings. It's not the natural landing spot. We need those apostles who are pushing us outside the box. We need those evangelists who are inviting others in. We need prophets who are speaking truth to power, who are calling us out on the ways we've been complicit in injustice. We need all those gifts. And God has given us people with all of those gifts. So as we think today about purpose and mission and call, do you find yourself fitting in with any of those? Do any of those resonate with your deep joy? What's your purpose? How do you fill in the blank? Woe to me if I do not. What's God calling you to do now based on who you are? What gives you joy? How are you gifted? And where do you see need around you? Thank <laughs> you.